0: Have you seen this Fat Bear Week? I'm pulling up the link that you sent me here. We're voting on which bears have gotten the fattest. Am I understanding what's happening here? I guess I should have known that, but bears fatten up for
1: hibernation. At Katmai National Park in Alaska... They've been tracking these bears, and they have an annual Fat Bear Week where you actually rate how
0: fat the bears have gotten. So it's like a tournament. And looking, oh, we got like 100,000 people voting on these things. And I'm pleased to note that Chunk, the adult male bear, is winning out right now. See, I would have gone with 128. 128 really packed on the pounds. I, I don't know that you can say that about a female bear. I'm not sure if that carries over. I, I don't know if she would find that offensive. Do you think we should do like a
1: a COVID quarantine fat person week or something?
0: I don't know that that ends well, but at this point, I'm not sure anything ends well.
2: Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physicians' practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information
0: with you and have fun along the way. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Episode 192 of Touchpoint. As always, that is Chris Boyer. I am Reed Smith. We're getting really, really close to 200. It's only two months away now. You know, I used to say like, oh, wow, two months sounds longer than eight episodes, right? Like, I think I've said that before. Like, oh, we're only 30 episodes. And it's like, oh, that's 30 weeks. That's like, you know, over half a year. I don't know what sounds longer anymore. Like, I've lost all context of time and space. But so, yeah, two months, two months, eight episodes, only eight more times and we will hit 200, which should be right around the first of the year of history is our guide. So that'll be good. That'll be good. So more to come on what that means. Because we don't know yet <laughs> what, <laughs> what it means. But, exactly. But yeah, we're 192 episodes in, eight away from 200. If you're curious about what else we've covered, maybe this is your first time listening, maybe uh, you're uh, a new listener, even though this isn't your first time, you can do so over at touchpoint.health, which is the website where we house each and every one of these episodes. While you're there, you'll also notice there is over a dozen other shows At touchpoint.health, and would encourage you to check those out. The exam room, intersection, gear and review, data point, healthcare insights for marketers is one of our newer ones, along with the morning fix. Both new shows have come out in the last couple of weeks. So you can check all that out at touchpoint.health. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter called the TPS report. We send out every Monday morning five or six uh, articles uh, that we have aggregated over the last week from around the industry. It's worth your time uh, to maybe check out as well as links to shows that have come out over the past week if you want to see what's new on the network. While you're there and signing up for the TPS report uh, and checking out all the other shows on the network, there's links to obviously click out and subscribe over on your listening platform of choice. So we're going to pause here while you go do that, and then we'll be back with uh, today's show.
1: and build a reputation that performs for you.
0: So we're going to talk a little bit today about Net Promoter Score, about PX, about VOC, about CFA and UPS. And (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm trying to think what other acronyms could I come up with off the top of my head? And of course, I immediately (laughs) thought of Chick fil A. So, net promoter score, what is it? How does that differ or the same or part of things like patient experience? What about voice of the customer? Where does that fit? Loyalty, et cetera. We got all kinds of interesting things and nuances to talk to. And we we talked a little bit about this as it related to online reviews versus patient experience or caps uh, And so we've kind of talked in and around these things and certainly mentioned them on various other episodes. You know, when you talk about Net Promoter Score,
1: oftentimes, even though it's such a simple concept, it's often misunderstood. So we haven't done this for a while, Reed, but today, why don't we start the top of the show by referring to uh, Wikipedia?
0: Ah, uh, Yes. Mr. Pedia, here we go.
1: Mr. Pedia about Net Promoter Score and what it actually is. So here they say that Net Promoter or Net Promoter Score, NPS, is the percentage of customers rating their likelihood to recommend a company, product, or service to a friend or a colleague as a 9 or 10, those are called the promoters, minus the percentage rating this company, product, or service at a 6 below, which are called detractors from a scale of 1 to 10. And then the respondents who provide a score of seven or eight are referred to as passives and enter also into the overall percentage calculation. And that result is expressed without a percentage sign. Did you get out your pencil there and scratch it all down? Because it sounds complicated.
0: I'm writing here. So nines, tens, and then we're going to minus out the six or belows. And then what do we do with the sevens and eights? They, they, they're in there somewhere. Yeah, they're, they're just passively in there, I suppose, in this calculation. Yeah. And then we get to a number that's on a scale of zero to 10 and used without a percentage sign. Got it. Math aside, it's really used as a management tool to
1: measure customer satisfaction, so to speak. And over the years has been known to uh, correlate with revenue growth and also brand loyalty. So it's apparently a very important uh, uh, score to calculate.
0: And we've got an article here from Zendesk. Zendesk is a platform that a lot of folks use for customer service type things. So like you, you, you traditionally think of like help desk tickets and some of those types of things. But anyway, they've got an article on their site, MPS Best Practices. What is Net Promoter Score and how does it help me? they give a little bit of the origins in this particular article and they talked that it was first developed in 1993. Gosh, that seems like not that long ago and like another world away all at the same time Uh, by Fred Richeld uh, and later adopted in 2003 by Bain and company, big uh, conglomerate that does a lot of uh, consulting management services type things uh, as a way to predict the customer's purchase and referral behavior. And it's interesting how
1: it started because he sent out this, this Richfield person sent out 20 distinct questionnaires to thousands of customers in six different industries. And they found that a single question stood out as being the most correlated with purchase and referral behavior to customers. Can you guess what that question is? How likely are you to refer or recommend or something to that effect? That's right. How likely are you to recommend this company product or service to a friend or a colleague. And that's really the basis of what NPS is. It's a single
0: question. Yeah. And we, we use it even at Girard and some of the surveying that we do when we're looking at like brand studies and things like that. And not just us, but a lot of people do this certainly. But when you're doing brand surveys and studies and even focus groups, things like that, would you send your mom here? you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, it's really what you're asking. You know, some somebody that you care about, would you tell them to use this service, go to this business? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and that's like to your point, really, and they say here in the article, that's the that's the basis, that's the question that has become widely adopted by companies to really gather feedback from consumers, potential consumers, you know, just customer base as a whole, I guess. And they go even further to say that because it doesn't
1: frame the question around how happy customers are with your customer service interactions, but more around how likely they are to recommend the company in general to someone, you can use this score to indicate the potential for real sustainable growth through customer retention and word of mouth referrals or loyalty,
0: so to speak. So what is the difference between patient experience and loyalty? Very good question. I'm glad you asked, because
1: that leads us to the second article that we're going to be talking about. Um, Healthcarefinance.com wrote an article that is entitled, How Improving Patient Experience Through Net Promoter Scores Can Improve Outcomes and Boost Revenue.
0: So obviously they talk about it here, and it's you would assume if, to some degree, or you, you would assume that this is true, that the more satisfied a patient is, the more likely that they're going to you know, have experienced a positive outcome. Since positive outcomes certainly are good for business, that they would then be a promoter.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting to say that. They say that, you know, the more satisfied someone is, the higher their satisfaction scores are. That's an interesting thing, right? I, of course, that makes intuitive sense. That satisfaction score is not quite the same thing as measuring patient loyalty. So this article kind of does a great job of, of aligning the two or comparing the two to one another. They even say that patient satisfaction data can be somewhat misleading. Even if the data was gathered in a robust and systematic way, like through Prescani or NRC or whatever it might be, that data could be misleading. So let's talk about some of the ways they point out that patient SAT scores might Give us the wrong impression.
0: Well, they talk initially about what they call the ceiling effect. This is essentially, they say, a problem in the sampling uh, of data, the sampling data. So patient satisfaction surveys are administered towards the end of care or I would even say Well past the end of care (laughs) in in a lot of cases. And because of this, the satisfaction scores tend to be through the roof. They're being submitted, after all, by patients who have reached the end of their care journey and have likely already experienced a positive outcome. Now, that's not always the case. I mean, certainly it certainly is in like, you know, L&D, at least more often than not. But the idea here is theoretically you're getting the cumulative effect of the experience is what's being rated at that point. Yeah. And I remember
1: back in the episode that we did a long time ago when we were talking about HCAP scores and patient SAT scores and comparing them to reviews is they're also asking very specific questions about their care. They're asking very specific questions about what their care experience is. So not only is it uh, you know having this potential ceiling effect, you're only measuring a small subset. That's an interesting take on this, too. They also point out a second problem with patient SAT scores, and that's something called environmental bias. Environmental bias. A a gentleman who was quoted in the article, Dr. Scott Hebert, who's a director of product management at Phoenix, Arizona-based WebPT. He says that people out of politeness or decency say they are satisfied when, in fact, they may have had some issues. What ends up happening, he, he puts forward, is that the results are not as accurate. They're not very sensitive. And you might have a hard time identifying where those issues are because people are being polite. Yeah, they're
0: satisfied it's over.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, realistically, and I can appreciate that, right? Where it's it's this idea that in the moment, in that particular point in time, and and I, I'll take it even out of the patient care setting. You know, you're buying a car, right? Mm-hmm. And you're having to deal with the back and forth with the sales guy. And the you know, let me go ask my manager and the con-. Well, nobody likes that. Somebody that <laughs> likes it, but like you get a few days removed, and you have the new car. Yeah, it's fine. And, well, that and I will say that the sales guy says that he's going to get fired if you don't give him all 10s, but it's <laughs> another problem. But it's right, right? You know, you, you get a little bit of time removed, or in this case, you're just being polite. And what does that really get you? The next one here that they mentioned patient loyalty is related, but a distinct concept from satisfaction. So satisfaction is largely based on expectations. And they argue that in a lot of cases, the expectations can be low, right? Well, particularly if you're going to a hospital, right? Right, right. And so the example they give here is that a person flies on a particular airline, they may have the expectation to make it to their destination safely and on time. I don't know that I have much of an expectation of the on-time part. If asked at the end of their journey whether their expectation was met, they're likely to respond with the affirmative. Yes. Even if the service was only like so-so. As far as the experience on the airline itself, because really all they're measuring it against is we arrived and we arrived on time. Right. <laughs> right. Where they say loyalty is actually a determination of whether a person is likely to then you know, have repeat business. Back to the airline example, if your bar is low enough that like all, all I expect is to get there and to get there on time... If another airline comes across with cheaper fares, you're liable to switch. And with
1: hospitals and health systems, if you're measuring satisfaction, if you get discharged and you're relatively healthy in the discharge and you didn't have that terrible of an experience, you might gloss over all of that because your satisfaction was met as opposed to loyalty, which they argue that loyalty is best measured through net promoter score. One of the benefits they say is, first of all, NPS is so easy to to digitize and use. You're talking about one question, right? You can get that NPS score out. It's easy to do with focus groups or get a market research firm or whatever it might be
0: to gather all of that data in a very quick, succinct way. I don't know that I've I've really thought through the idea of satisfaction versus loyalty. I understand intellectually that they're different. I just don't know that I've really thought through specifically what that means. Just because I'm satisfied doesn't necessarily mean that I'm loyal. That's true. And, and they also
1: argue that NPS is a sensitive measurement that can be repeated and replicated at various points during the, the whole journey. You, you might be talking to people and getting an NPS score that are, are currently in treatment, as opposed to patient satisfaction, which is after the fact. And it provides, they say, actionable insights because detractors, those people that score low, six or lower, average five fewer visits than promoters. Sounds like NPS is a pretty good number to measure,
0: right? I think so. I think it'd be interesting to trend that over the course of a visit or treatment or experience. What does it look like at intake? What does it look like after triage or registration through the you know what I mean? Like that would be that would be an interesting scenario. It would be an
1: interesting scenario. And unfortunately, not a lot of organizations actually do that. And what we'll do is after the break, we'll come back and talk about other types of measurements that may give you a better insight into not only satisfaction and loyalty, but actually get to that ever-elusive voice of customer. We'll do that right after the break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media – Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net,
0: Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. We're going to talk a little bit about what metrics to actually track in 2020. (laughs) I mean, do we care anymore? It's 2020. I mean, do we just need to... Could we actually just start January now? Or does that, I guess that throws off our uh, seasons and stuff. But uh, I wonder if we could just write off the rest of 2020. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so anyway, you're going to want to track dates metrics, regardless of if you do this now or in 2021. So we're going to talk about NPS, CSAT, and CES, customer satisfaction metrics to track in 2020. So <laughs> more more three-letter acronyms for everybody. If you're keeping There's one four-letter all. acronym in there.
1: That's true. They all roll up into this overall thing where they're calling them customer satisfaction metrics or CX metrics, which is interesting because CX to me means customer experience metrics. But nonetheless, they say that these metrics can help you collect valuable feedback so that you can make changes and improvements that your customer base is actually asking for. And so they talk through these three different areas of where you can measure as being the most commonly used
0: cx metrics so the first one they talk about is is net promoter score and i think we've we've talked about that before the break maybe not extensively but but enough at this point point. and so the first one that we'll kind of dig into here i want to say c stat and it's c but anyway it stands for customer satisfaction tools so a cx metric that directly measures customer satisfaction levels this is like we talked about, like Ganey uh, or NRC, those types
1: of things are CSAT metrics. These are ideally used when you want to see how happy clients are with any action your business took or a certain experience with your business or whatever, typically done after that experience occurs, as we talked about. This
0: typically features a question asking clients how satisfied that they are with a certain service, product, interaction, etc. cetera.
1: And in the case of healthcare, we group those together, we actually have a number of questions that are being used. So using multiple questions with open-ended and close-ended questions are also part of the practice when you start to measure CSAT. And there's various different types of CSAT metrics that are out there and different industries do it differently. We have the ones that are regulated by the industry, but there are others that are also used, but ultimately that's what they're trying to capture is Help us understand your satisfaction with that experience, with that interaction, with whatever that could look like. And I see that all the time, like when I'm like shopping on Amazon and then afterwards they send me an email that says, can you rate your experience with us? Or how easy was it to purchase from this vendor? That sort of thing. Again, it's to measure my satisfaction with that experience.
0: How obvious is it that we're always listening to you? You know, things like that. Exactly. The next one they point out here, which I thought was made up when I first read it, is customer effort score. Uh, again, I feel like we've just made this up, but it's a metric that's used to measure customer satisfaction loss by focus on on the efforts or effort a customer may make to interact with your business, the services or products, et cetera. Well, it allows you to help, you know, find out if customers are having a hard time with certain actions interacting with your brand. Now, this would be an interesting one. To measure for hospitals. I mean, I think we do it maybe antidotally or just, you know, a little bit of perception. I don't know that we're really measuring it though.
1: I see sometimes those little pop-ups that appear on the website that says, can you rate your experience on the site? And they they pop up and they actually ask questions about that particular webpage that you're on. So this might be a, a CES measurement, don't you think?
0: I think so. But I don't know that we're measuring the difficulty in scheduling an appointment or, you know, those types of things. But yeah, you're right. You're right. There there is the little pop up and like, would you be willing to take a survey and that kind of thing could potentially be done, you know, when you when you call in um, and it's like, you know, if you're willing to stay on the line after the call, we have a short survey, you know, that kind of thing maybe falls into this category a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about
1: that too. Right. And, and that happens not only when you call, but also on chat bots and things like that, where they say, how would you rate this particular experience here though? They're getting into the effort or, you know, they're friction bustings, so to speak. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> and often they use a single question to ask clients how easy or difficult it is to perform a specific action. That's really what a CES measurement is. So now let's think about the three here. Net promoter is about the likelihood to refer your company to someone else. CSAT is a customer satisfaction measurement, it happens after the fact. Yeah. And then CES is after a particular action in that process. So that sounds like a widespread group of, of measurements that you could
0: use to uh, measure the overall experience of your customers. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I wonder how many organizations actually classify and look at like how they're measuring and what they're measuring and kind of bucket it those ways. But there
1: is something else that's missing throughout all of this as well. Oh boy. It's a term that we've been hearing a lot, voice of customer. Ah, yes. Let's talk a little bit about that because we'd be remiss not to talk about that today.
0: So, CustomerThink.com has an article called Using the Voice of the Customer to Capture Much More Than the MPS Score. Much more. Much more. So much more. So, they talk about that the voice of customer, VOC, and that's with a little O in between the big V and the big C, uh, refers to the way a brand captures customer feedback and how they analyze and interpret the insights to improve the overall customer experience. So it's a little bit of a Baldrige framework kind of methodology in the sense of like, what do you have in place to capture information and data? And then how are you analyzing that data and using it to then better a process? And in this case, they talk about the overall customer experience. Now, this gets a little bit trickier because voice of
1: customer measurement can occur at multiple different points in their customer journey. You could get VOC feedback from active questions by asking them through like the CSAT or the CES or the NPS, but voice of customer measurements are also things that are a little bit more passive. Like for example, we've all done this in digital, how many pages per session, so to speak, or did they complete their tasks online? These yeah. are things that could give you some passive indication of what the voice of customer could be. And it becomes even more and more complex when you get into chatbots where you could start to understand their intent and you could start to parse through all the questions that they're having. What does this mean? And like, for example, I remember a friend of the, the show, Loyal, they did some uh, research at the beginning of the, the pandemic to figure out that all these people were asking some basic, simple questions about coronavirus which led them to develop very specific intentional conversations through their chatbot to address those questions. This is like a true voice of customer type of measurement.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all about real time. So they're talking here about you know being able to resolve customer issues and fix things in real time. And so not that you can do everything, again, because the example that you gave, I mean, you're collecting data, you're using that to better a process, which in this case was how this particular AI device, a chat bot is helping people. Not only is it going to
1: give you that real-time stuff, but it's going to get additional information we talked about this in intentions it could be the way they're asking questions it could be what they're asking their call center about it could you could sense where their frustration is so crms are used in voice of customer tracking particularly when you're interacting with with customers on the phone or through you know through a website chatbot where you can get additional information you can start to parse that and get some analytics around just a general theme and tone of what's happening at a particular location so to speak
0: you know, certainly tailoring future messages, they, they say in here, is, is very analogous to what you're talking about of evolving the chat bot and how it helps and things like that and being relevant uh, and continuing the conversation. Also in here, they talk about understanding pain points, wants, needs, and allows you to, you know, be able to you know, meet those customers uh, where they are back to kind of that real time piece. I think ultimately the goal of voice of customer measurement is to collect
1: all of these measurements together into a succinct approach so you can learn how the customer, your customers, existing or new, are perceiving and valuing your brand and your organization. And ultimately, if you're doing it right, you can lead the future customer experience strategy and design initiatives if you're doing it right. Now, I would argue that many organizations, many healthcare organizations across the country, uh, have full intention about doing this, but this seems very, very complex to do.
0: It, it does. I, I mean, it's the the elephant scenario, I guess. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right, and kind of chipping away at it. So maybe looking at these different types of metrics, you know, whether it be NPS, the CESPs, or the C, uh, CSAT. Voice of the customer, whatever, starting somewhere, right, and, and starting to kind of chip away at it, and understanding what's coming back. Kind of the last point here they make is if if you're going to invest in voice of the customer, you need to think much broader than just that satisfaction metric, if you will, um, or how do you you know close the loop, but rather thinking about the invaluable customer data it enables you to capture. This this goes back to, and I mentioned earlier, but the Baldridge piece of you know we're we're extracting all of this information, and all of this data. Well, how are we aggregating it? What does that then tell you? How do you then use that to better or change a process or an experience or or what have you? Is is really the idea?
1: and you got to have the fortitude and the will to do this because this is not a one time measurement it doesn't happen you know after an interaction with your brand it doesn't happen after a care experience if you're doing voice of customer you're going to be talking to them understanding them and it's ongoing it's an ongoing project it needs to become part of your dna you know the organizations that are really going towards this voice of customer they realize that they have to pivot their entire business model around what's best for their customer around making their customers needs and wants first and foremost. And that's, that's not for the weak of heart.
0: And and that's why we see more and more clients uh, or more and more organizations, not even clients investing in uh, departments that do this. Again, it used to all be about patient experience or just the PX. Uh, And now we're seeing chief consumer officers, we're seeing more CX related roles, we're seeing departments that handle these things and look at different stakeholder groups and all that kind of fun stuff. So people are understanding the business value and the business case for this and, and making those investments.
1: Well, with that, I think we should turn to an interview that we've done just recently with Dan Riley, who's with SMS. They are a research firm here in the Twin Cities, and I got to know with him, um, working with him together at a past company that I was at, at a pass health system. He and I got a chance to talk about the value of net promoter score and his perspective, which is a little bit different than yours and mine, Reed, around how you could use this as well as other measurements to really get a good sense of – what the right measurements are for your organization. And we'll do that right after this break. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I am delighted to talk with someone that I've been, uh, had a professional relationship with. I worked with you for a number of years. That's Dan Riley. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to talk with you today, but before we jump into the topic at hand, some people listening in may not know who you are and what you do. Do you mind sharing a brief background about yourself?
2: I work for a company called SMS Research Advisors. We're a division of Padilla, which is a PR firm here in Minneapolis. I've been in market research for about 30 years. Started out on We call the supplier side with a, a company called Merits Market Research, which is a, a well-known player in the field and then went client side for a while with such firms as John Deere and Wells Fargo. And then about 15 years ago, made the jump back to supplier side where I worked with a company called SRM out of Fargo and now SMS in Minneapolis.
1: And you work with a variety of different industries in market research, but one of those one of those industry niches is healthcare. So, and that's kind of how we aligned together because at my previous organization, I was working with you were providing some market research around uh, what some of the trends are in the in the local Twin Cities market here. And 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 as we kind of walked through that work and the research that you've done, the ongoing research that you were doing, you and I struck up a conversation on the side around what I think we're going to talk about today primarily, which is around net promoter score, a very common thing, right? In market research. Yes. I even see that hitting uh, executive level dashboards as a performance measurement.
2: One of the things that we often see with net promoter score is uh, senior leadership likes to have one metric that they uh, consider equal to the rest, but uh, superior, first among equals, I guess is the phrase you'd use. And NPS seems to fit that bill. It's easy to understand. It gives you a gauge of what influencers are thinking. And it provides a score that is trendable over a given period of time. So there's a lot of appeal to Net Promoter Score.
1: But I also think with that appeal, there's also a lot of mystique and maybe misunderstanding of the term itself, too. Is that fair to say?
2: Yes, it is. So the, the net promoter score, the the, the downside to it is, or the, another way to think about it is what actually builds the score, is it's a 10-point scale from 0 to 10. And the closer you are to 10, in theory, the higher your score should be. But the problem is that net promoter score increases for every rating of a 9 or a 10 and decreases for every rating of a 0 through 6. So if you have someone come through and say that they give you an 8, an 8 out of 10 certainly is a decent score. It certainly is a good score by any uh, empirical measure. Uh, Your net promoter score will be zero. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is the net promoter score can change based on the industry. So we say for most consumer packaged goods and for most retail organizations, you want a net promoter score between 50 and 80. If we were a software installation company and you got a net promoter score of minus 15, I'd say throw a party. A minus 15 score for net promoter is really, really good for a software company. And if that was a CPG company, I'd see you have a lot of problems because that score should be much higher. So it's confusing when you start looking at the context of what does the score actually mean. And then the other thing to keep in mind is what is it actually measuring? It's measuring the perception of influence that you have on others. It's not necessarily measuring the influence that others have on the brand you're measuring. So it's a a measure of an individual towards a brand. It's not the measurement of a group towards an individual. And as we've talked about before, the idea of the individual... Having an influence as compared to a larger organization, the whole idea behind social media is that the influencers act as a connected collective to promote a brand or to promote a service, and that becomes powerful, and there's strength in that, and that becomes difficult for Net Promoter Score to accurately gauge and measure.
1: Let's talk about your experience around using NPS with healthcare companies. Every company I've worked with, NPS was part of at least the marketing person's dashboard, if not, like I said, executive level dashboard. What are you seeing generally around Net Promoter Score being used in healthcare?
2: The biggest thing that we're seeing with Net Promoter Score in Healthcare is that it's supposed to measure the retail experience. The challenge with healthcare is healthcare really competes on three things. It competes on cost. It competes on access. It competes on quality. Every attribute that exists for healthcare falls into one of those three categories. The challenge is when you start looking at net promoter score, it's measuring the level of influence, but what's it measuring the level of influence it on? Not really quality. It's not measuring anything related to cost So the only thing that comes close to relating is access. And we know in healthcare, access is local. And in digitized healthcare, access comes from the experience that you have. The cost associated with healthcare is so driven by insurance that it makes it more difficult to isolate on net promoter score how well a brand is doing in the market because it assumes... That the same behavior that's happening among consumers who are buying cookies or buying jeans is the same thing as those who are accessing healthcare. And Chris, as, as you know from your experience as well as I, that is not even remotely the case. Yet
1: many of us, you know, talk about this influence of consumerism in healthcare. But you're right. I mean, in, when you think about it, the consumer themselves don't have much influence over cost, or, or really even a relationship with cost right now. How do you see consumer perception of quality, and how does that relate to NPS?
2: When we talk about consumer quality in healthcare. What we're really talking about is their perception of how the experience was successful in obtaining their goal. The challenge for a consumer is what is that goal in healthcare? Is it to keep you alive? Is it to get rid of the rash that was on your arm? Was it to improve your hearing? What was that outcome? And and consumers really struggle with defining. What quality is? And CMS, through their survey and Prescani, through their surveys as well, have tried to define quality. Prescani has a kitchen sink. We're going to ask about every single aspect of it. We're going to give you a score. Well, when you're measuring 200 attributes, it's ridiculous. You can't react to that score because it's 200 items. What do you mean? I have to fix 200 items. I can't do that. The other side with CMS is it asks too few questions about it. And it asks questions mostly having to do with inpatient and mostly having to do with uh, major surgery. From that perspective, using NPS or really any survey that gauges quality as as we know it. Now, at SMS, we think we have a different perspective on that. By and large, quality is really hard for consumers to define.
1: In this day and age, the consumers have been given a powerful voice with being able to create reviews about, uh, you know, uh, organizations through Facebook and through through Google, many of them are related to more, you know, experience related things, there is a certain level of quality that kind of underscores all of those reviews as well. How does that fit in?
2: So one of the things that we've seen is doctors being recommended. And that starts to think, wow, that would be part of NPS because that, that, it's a recommendation score, but we, we've always cautioned by saying, you know, NPS measures the food service as much as it does the physician and the janitorial service as much as it does the physician and the receptionist as much as it does the physician. So you really can't have an NPS score measure a specific physician experience. Uh, social media does a really good job in allowing different ways of aggregation of reviews and we think reviews have an impact and an importance, but NPS is not necessarily the best measure, as I've talked about before, for understanding how those reviews impact the uh, the overall experience.
1: You alluded to this earlier. You have a unique perspective. I'd like to dig into that a little bit. Share with, share with us your thoughts around how do organizations now start to grasp what the spirit of NPS is trying to do?
2: We understand that when... Consumers are making a choice in healthcare. That there are other forces that that influence that. As such, there needs to be a different way in which we we measure. Taking NPS out of the equation, we don't think is realistic. In part because it's inculcated into the C suite's experience of how good are we doing. And if we come in and say, here's why NPS doesn't work, and you should get rid of NPS, that's a bridge too far for many in C suite simply because. They've had B-School that has taught them that NPS is a good measure. There are still consultants out there uh, pressing the benefits of NPS. There are innumerable books on how to read NPS. So what we say is let's stay, instead of NPS being the measure, let's make it a measure of something larger. And in our case, we often look at this measure called loyalty. And this becomes really important in healthcare because people want to be loyal to their physician and switching becomes really a challenge to switch physicians. Typically when people switch physicians, they switch because the physician is uh, no longer accepting patients or the physician retired. There are times, this is becoming more increasing, where they'll switch physicians and therefore in in a captured health system like we have uh, in many cities in the U.S., switch brands is because of a systemic negative experience that they had. In other words, your doctor doesn't have to mess up once. She doesn't have to mess up twice. There has to be several occurrences before that negativity builds up and you want to change your doctor. What healthcare brands have to realize is that there's two elements to look at this. The first one is you have to be able to measure loyalty. And loyalty becomes really important because in order for somebody to switch, two things have to occur. And we use the, the uh, analogy of filling a hole versus building a mountain. In healthcare, if you're going to switch your physician, two things have to occur. First, there has to be such a problem with your physician that you are no longer able to have a relationship with that physician. And that doesn't necessarily mean that your patient died. It means that something occurred that is so systemic, like you can't see the physician anymore. That creates the opportunity. However, by saying, well, this physician retired, here's the other physician, you're not actually adding value. All you're doing is filling that hole. You've dug them out of the hole, but now they're equal to everybody else. How does the brand build the mountain, add value to keep that person? Well, there's a lot of different ways you can add value from a health brand perspective. Health systems can often talk about seamless care. They can talk about uh, multiple specialties. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. But what we like to think about is how do we measure that? So what we do is we create, we call a measure, uh, a loyalty index. And the loyalty index is comprised of four elements. One is overall satisfaction. One is net promoter score. One is the value for the effort that you gave, not for the money you received, but the effort that gave to attend, It becomes part of a customer experience element, which we think is really important. And then future consideration. What we do is we take those four scores, we apply an algorithm to it, and it outputs a loyalty profile. And what we can do is from this loyalty profile, we can tell you what percentage of your patients are most loyal. These are the ones that are your advocates. These are the ones that are out there talking about your brand. Not just your physician, your brand. And then the ones are the next group are the ones that are loyal. These are the ones that tend to be stagnant in that there's nothing wrong, but I'm not really, really excited about it. And then you've got those that are considered vulnerable. These are folks that if the opportunity was to leave, they would if they were given an incentive to. And then you have the least loyal. These are folks who are ready to jump right off the bat. What we typically see in healthcare is a what we would call a U shape, where on each end of the spectrum, the most loyal and the least loyal, those tend to hold the most people, and then it concaves so that the people who are loyal and the people who are vulnerable, they tend to be far less. So you really have a bifurcation in healthcare, and it depends on the market as well. In California, that bifurcation is extreme. In the Twin Cities, it's not nearly as extreme but it's still there it's more of a flattened hue as it were but uh on the coasts new york and, and in california we see the extreme uh is more uh
1: compounded if you're talking to an organization now and and they're looking to maybe take some steps in the right direction what would you suggest to them
2: so the first thing i would say to uh, any company is how do you define success? When I ask this question uh, often of of leadership and other folks, I honestly get a blank stare. What do you mean by success? Uh, That's literally the question I'm asking is, how do you define success as an organization? We often see that these firms are thinking about financial success or they're thinking about a return on investment not necessarily some profit and loss versus the marginalized return on investment. They're usually thinking about it in those terms. And what we're saying is that if that's how you're defining success, then you could be the worst company in the world and still be financially successful. That really, when we say that to folks, <laughs> they kind of stop and say, wow, you're right. You could poison the environment and be the most successful company in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> the issue becomes, we don't want to do that. So how are you really going to measure success? And We often turn them to this idea of understanding what the customer, not necessarily what they want or what they need, but understanding their opinions, understanding how they're influenced by those around them, and then understanding the barriers that are put in front of them. If you can understand those three things, then you're going to be able to predict the behavior that they're going to have for you. And if you want more people to come to your eye clinic, what are the barriers that you've put in front of them that prevent that from happening? What are the opinions that they have about your brand? What are the opinions that they have about the location of your brand? What are the opinions that they have about, as we talked about earlier, this perceived quality of brand? Then we want to understand, well, what are other people in the market saying? What are the reviews saying? What's the government saying? What's your employer saying? What's the insurance company saying? Are they saying that this is a good place to go or it isn't a good place to go? Now, what's interesting, if you think about insurance, insurance can act both as an influence through ratings and other metrics that they use, but they also act as a barrier or a control because they can either cover the physician or the brand or not cover the physician. So when we start looking at how all those line up, we really begin to understand That attitudes, what we call normative beliefs and control barriers, really start to impact how consumers think about healthcare. So when we talk about measuring success, we talk about it in that context, allowing people to predict behavior so that if your goal is to increase volume, great, you want to understand the behavior intent and the motivations that support the behavior intent so that you can have success. And once we have that, then... It's really sitting down with leadership and saying, what are the attributes that we think are driving success, whatever that metric might be, and what are the barriers that are occurring to that? Where's the uh, future opportunity going to be? Where are you guys expecting to grow? Things like that it becomes a much more traditional consultative conversation.
1: This has been a, a year that's been profound, has a profound impact across organizations. Have you seen any shifts occur around um, how customers are, are perceiving and interacting with, with brands, particularly in healthcare?
2: Absolutely. So prior to COVID, what we would see is a lot of understanding of what the brand could be for elements such as safety. So if we think about safety, the traditional discussion of safety in healthcare has been location. The dirty little secret really is infection, but health systems don't talk about infection. They talk about location as safety. And consumers don't necessarily understand infection in healthcare. They understand location. So if you're a traditional hospital, uh, John Hopkins is a great example. Uh, they are a fantastic institution. They're a fantastic health system in probably the worst section of Baltimore. So safety is, that's how safety was defined for a long time. Now that COVID is here, we start to see safety change. So does safety mean just location? Or now are we really starting to talk about the dirty little secret of infection? And consumers now understand COVID as an infective agent. They understand the flu, but it's always been in control. At least the past hundred years, it has So it's never been a significant issue. COVID is changing, uh, the way we think about interacting with healthcare. What we expect to see with that type of behavior is more dependence on how the brand reacts to infection. So it's one thing to have a mask policy at a clinic. It's another thing to have someone who's wearing a face shield and a mask with a temperature gauge to press on your head to see if you have a temperature and then insist that you wash your hands or wipe your hands with disinfectant before you enter the office or go on the elevator to see a physician. The the brands that have really been effective in understanding that are doing those kinds of things, are showing that presence. The ones that are not as impactful, or having more of a passive approach to it. but
1: Wow, Dan, we covered a lot of topics here, and I'm sure that you sparked a lot of thoughts and ideas with people uh, listening in. Many of them may want to reach out to you after this. What are some ways that they can connect with you?
2: There's always uh, my uh, email address, which is D-R-E-I-L-L-Y at SMSresearch.com. So D-R-E-I-L-L-Y at SMSresearch.com. Or, of course, they can visit our website, SMSresearch.com, where we have a lot of case studies specifically about healthcare and about uh, how loyalty impacts that as well as the customer experience. Yeah, I
1: strongly recommend that they do visit your website because there is some really smart information out there. Well, Dan, this has been great. Uh, we we definitely have to have you back on in the future to, t- to go a little bit more deeper because we covered a really broad topic today, but uh, there's so much more here, I think. So, But thank you today for your time. I really appreciate the conversation.
2: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Special thanks to Dan Raleigh for coming on the show. Uh, this has always been uh, kind of a fun, it's fun, the right word. Anyway, I don't know. I've always enjoyed uh, talking about ratings, reviews, feedback, HCAPs, customer experience, patient experience, net promoter scores, all this kind of stuff. So this is this is really fascinating stuff, and it's it's really interesting to think how this uh, evolves over time dovetails with other projects within the organization, you know, all ultimately going back to the idea of serving our patients or other stakeholders like employees uh, that much better. So appreciate his insights and uh, and viewpoint. So a couple of conferences uh, still on the docket, still coming up. We're actually in October, which I guess I realized, but not really. This month, uh, we've got two conferences. Yeah, two conferences. You got the SMASH conference coming up, right? That's
1: right. The SMASH Conference. It's a post-acute care conference. It's happening October 19th through the 23rd. And I'll be doing a digital workshop at the beginning of that. that, And a number of people that we know that have been on this podcast before will also be there. So check that out. The link is in the show
0: notes. Very nice. Also, later this month is uh, another ShishMed conference. And so we've got the Connection Bytes, I believe it's called. Uh, you can find that over uh, on the ShishMed website or link in the TPS report. Then we move into November and we will hit um, the Healthcare Internet Conference, now called HCIC at Home. Uh, so we'll be uh, we'll be doing some stuff there. More to come on that, kind of as we get a little bit closer. But that's always uh, a highlight of the year. Certainly looking forward to uh, looking forward to that. Well, let's move on to some recommendations. What uh, what do you got today? Well, today,
1: my recommendation is going to be something a little bit more generic. It is fall. My wife and I, we got a chance to go out for not only a hike, we went to an apple orchard this weekend. And uh, we came back with a home baked apple pie. There is nothing wrong with a apple pie read. In fact, I'm going to make that recommendation. It is fall. It is time for us to get out our pie making equipment and start making some homemade apple pie. Nothing better than, I'm not sure how you like it. Do you like it warm or do you like it cold?
0: All a la mode yeah no you gotta warm it up uh ice cream on it yeah yep, mm-hmm. absolutely
1: so could you imagine now everybody listening in and now want to go out and get a piece of apple pie i would imagine so that in general is my recommendation it's fall i'm not a pumpkin spice
0: guy i'm more of an
1: apple pie guy and that's my recommendation
0: that is an excellent recommendation man i, I really wish you had enough but that's all right <laughs> I am recommending something that I don't know if it works or not. So I know that's an excellent selling point for everyone listening, but I am recommending blue light blocking glasses. So I've been having weird headaches. I can't imagine that it doesn't have something to do with like 41 Teams and Zoom calls a day and all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm looking at technology too much. And so I ordered some off Amazon, Early results, uh, I'd say it's probably helping. and maybe it's a placebo effect, but in either case, I don't guess it really matters. I don't know. What do you think? Blue blocking, so thing. I think it is a thing.
1: My eye doctor has recommended it to me, so I'm okay. I'm, right. I'm glad that you're using it, so it gives me I yeah,
0: I got, I, got a, I just ordered some off Amazon. Found some that had like a, a whole bunch of ratings that were good. Again, back to the rating and review scenario. Uh, I got a two pack. So one's like uh, clear frames and one's black, you know, one of those kind of things. Anyway, there's like 20 bucks. Amazon figured can't really beat that. So uh, yeah, so blue blocking glasses, you know, can't hurt, certainly. Uh, Otherwise, I'm just staring through clear plastic. So (laughs) well, that's okay. You're seeing the world through blue colored glasses. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That is exactly right. So anyway, apparently it's also good for certainly fatigue and headaches and the the blue. Anyway, also dry eyes. Wow. I don't know why that is. Anyway, so if you use a lot of, I guess, re-wetting drops or something like that, maybe it's good for that. So there you go. Well, hopefully you're a 9 or 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 uh, for us uh, (laughs) if you're a promoter. And if you are, we would love it if you would go out and rate, review, subscribe on, uh, well, all the platforms, any of the platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, we're on Amazon Music now. So pretty much pretty much anywhere that you can listen to a podcast, you should be able to find our shows. If you find somewhere we're not listed, I'd like to know it. Rate, review, subscribe, let others know about the show. Certainly that's still the best way and number one way people find out about us. Uh, we certainly appreciate the support. Let us hear from you if there is a topic you'd like to see covered, a person you'd like to see interviewed. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production.
2: To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.